How many of you have ever seen um, the movie called uh, The Mask of Zorro? Oh, yeah, yeah. The Mask of Zorro is, is this movie about with Antonio Banderas. Uh, kind of tried to get it a little Spanish sounding or Italian, whatever he is. Uh, this, uh, this Antonio Banderas, uh, along with Anthony Hopkins. And it's the whole story. I, I don't want to give it away. But because it, it, I don't know, maybe it's just a cheesy movie, but I love this movie because there's really a lot of under, underlying themes that are going throughout the movie. It's, there's this love story that's going on between Antonio Banderas and uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins' daughter. And that is just this rich, passionate, I love this, there's this dance scene, and as a Dutch guy, I know I could never replicate it, but because they do this, I don't know if it was a tango, but it was like a sexy wow kind of moment. And if I could just get two of those steps in, my wife would go, wow, again. You know, it's just, oh. Anyway, uh, getting a little warm up here. Um, and so there's, those, those, there's this love story that is going on. There's also this, this story that um, Antonio is um, he's out for revenge. Because this, this guy killed his brother. And so all of his life, he becomes this, this drunken guy who is just out to kill this, this, this man who killed his brother. Kind of reminds me of uh, Princess Bride. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father? Prepare to die. Exactly. You guys are all sick, if you know that quote. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Does he have six fingers? Anyway, uh, there is this. Um, so Antonio Banderas is out to kill this man, and he comes in contact with Anthony Hopkins, who was, before he got busted, Zorro, this this great man that was freeing the Mexican people from the the tyrannical um, rule of the Spaniards. And uh, he was all about serving the people, but he got busted in the process. And he ran into this, this young man who, who had this passion, he had this vengeance that he was out to kill. And he brought him in under his wings and said, listen, to make this happen, you must be trained. And so there's this long part of the story of where he is just training this young man to be not just a man on mission, but a classy man as well. Where no longer he looked like a drunk that was just sloppy, but he could dress appropriately, and where he could talk, and he could interact with people in an appropriate way. And, uh, and I love that story, because on top of this love and this vengeance, it really has this ideal idea of discipleship. This idea of taking somebody alongside and taking all this God-given energy, this God-given passion, and just saying, okay, let's use this for a purpose. A purpose not just to where you die at the end of the day. And this morning we're going to continue looking at the life of Jesus in the book of Mark. And this was uh, honestly for me a, a challenging one. Um, because it, it really, I had to, I had to be honest with myself. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, uh, there's Bibles in the aisles. Uh, just kind of wa- wave somebody down. It's page 694, and uh, starting chapter one, verse uh, 35 to 39. And what, if you look at the, the title, it, it's talking about Jesus, uh, Jesus going off to a solitary place uh, for prayer. And immediately, something in my, my gut kind of stirred. It's like, okay, Paul, you're going to have to preach on something that you're not very good at. And I know that as a, as a pastor, you know, you think that, man, he's got all of his spiritual disciplines down 
This man probably spends three, two or three hours in prayer every day with God, and he's just always quiet. He's always studying the Bible. He's, he's just so in tune, so in touch with what God's will is, and he probably even hears the audible voice of God. And the truth is, it's not true. And so this morning, I just need to be honest with you, is that if you feel like you're wrestling with this, you're not alone. Uh, because it's even true with me, that I wrestle with this. How does this, how does this work out in Paul Vroom's life? How does this work out in your life? How, how do we lead something like this? If, if this was a value, something of importance for, for Jesus Christ, how do, how, do I, how do I make that real for me in my life, in my day-to-day living, my breathing, my, just how I interact with people? So join with me as uh, we start at verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This week as I was going through the preparation, I tried twice. I really did. Twice. To do this Mark one thirty-five, going to a solitary place and praying. Twice I put it up on Facebook for my status. That Paul is going to go to a solitary place. Mark one thirty-five. Next day, try two. It is amazing how difficult this is. How difficult in our, in our day, our time, our age, where it is just difficult to step out. You know, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and he went to a solitary place. You know, there's something in my theology that says, I'm surprised that God's even up before the sun is up. You know, what? 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 You know, the birds don't even make noises until the, the, the sun just starts getting up. Why would God even be up? Why would Jesus be up at this God-forsaken time? And there's a danger for me to say, well, you know what? Okay, here's our first principle that all of us need to start applying. Our first principle is, before the sun gets up, you set your alarm. So if you're aware of what time the sun gets up, it's a ridiculously early time, and nobody should be up at that time. Sorry if you're one of those people that are up, but man, that is crazy early. But all of us as a church, this is just a spiritual discipline we need to get into. At, uh, let's say, 5 o'clock in the morning, your alarm needs to get up. You need to... um, you need to put on your prayer clothes. I don't know what those are, if it's just your pajamas or your boxers or what it is. You need to put on your prayer clothes, and you need to go find a, you need to leave the house. You know, if we're going to take this literally, that's what we got to do. we got to get up, leave the house, find a solitary place, and we need to pray. But if you're anything like me, and some of you are just the polar opposite, you know, as soon as, you know, 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock, you know, like you're awake and you're like a high school cheerleader that you just go, shut up, you know, because they're just jabbering away at that very early time in the morning. You're going, this is ridiculous. Nobody should be talking right now, not at least till 10, you know, because some of us are, are like these midnight people. We're all of a sudden 10 o'clock, you know, I'd be looking at you go, okay, this is another time just to shut up. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. This is sleeping time. 
So this is, there's a danger because I've, I've heard plenty of sermons based on this that, you know what, you gotta get up early in the morning. That's really a great time for you to find, uh, some quiet time because nothing else is going on. That's a danger for us to take this so literally that, well, Jesus did it, so therefore, you need to do it too. Some of you, I'm not sure there's brain waves going on before the sun gets up. If you're like me, Nothing's happening. I'm worshiping God with a pillow. So how do we read this? How, how, do we, how do we really apply this scripture? Because if, the, if we believe that the, the scriptures are alive and well and that they still speak to us today, what, how, do we, how do we interact with this? And so... I think the thing that we need to look at is, why did Jesus pray? Why was the perfect God made man? Why did he find himself praying? You know, because if we, if we would have a, a prayer meeting today, and say, okay, we're going to have a prayer meeting at so-and-so's house, be there. What would we hear at those prayer meetings? We'd hear these prayers for this, and we'd hear these prayers for that, or this prayer for this person who's sick, or that person because they don't have this, or this and that and the other thing, or the war in Iraq, we'd world peace. We'd have all these kinds of prayers going up to God. We might even throw some of these, thank you, man, we're adoring you, because if you grew up in, you know, like during my time, all of a sudden this acronym of ACTS comes, came out, Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. You know, you gotta do it in this order, so maybe you're trained to pray that way. First we need to adore God, so let's not get, adore God. So let, let's not move too fast to asking God for something. First we gotta adore Him, kinda, you know, drum up some support from God, think, God, you're wonderful, you're great, you supply us with all this. You died on the cross for us and that. You're all-knowing. You're all everywhere. You're this. You're that. Oh, God. Okay, now it's confession. Oh, man, do I suck, God. You know what I did. I'm not going to name it right now because there's other people in this room. And if they hear about what my I'm confessing, they're going to look at me kind of, did you hear what he just prayed for? He does this. <laughs> and then you got to move quickly to, Thanks, thanks be to God for this, that, or the other thing. And then finally at the end, the thing that you've all been waiting for, okay, God, now this is what we need. It's amazing how those adoration, confession, thanksgiving take about uh, 1.2 seconds, but all of a sudden all of our needs are like, okay, God, this is it. And as we put money into the vending machine, God, we hope that you give us what we ordered. That's kind of what we do. But Jesus was the perfect God-made man. Perfect. Think about that. Let that soak just for a second. The perfect God-made man. Why was he praying? Was he in need of stuff, of wisdom? Was he needed in a little bit more, you know, healing power? Because he just got done that, the night before healing this whole village of various sicknesses and even demon possessions. The night before he was up late. So was he zapped of his, his ability to heal? Why did he get up very early? Did he know that he was going to have a long day of healing more people and preaching? So therefore, he's got to kind of juice his batteries up. So he had to spend some time in prayer. Why? There's a, a quote. The first quote I want you to throw up there, Ryan. E. Stanley Jones described prayer as a time exposure to God. He used the analogy of his life being like a photographic plate which, when exposed to God, progressively bore the image of God in keeping with the length 
of exposure. Leave that up for a little while. It's like those old Western movies. You line everybody up and nobody can move. And they put a plate in. And all of a sudden you get the... And this photographic plate is exposed. And the longer this plate and everybody can stay still, the richer the picture comes out. The better, more clear the picture is. So E. Stanley Jones says... You know what? What prayer really is, is a time exposure with God. This this exposure that as you are spending this time with God, this mysterious thing called prayer, the more we become resembling God. The more that we, we spend our time alone or in groups just praying, the more that our hearts, our lives, start to resemble the mission of God, the character of God. And it's strange that the, the Son of God was alone. With his father. We think that he doesn't need anything else. He's Jesus. He's a perfect son of God. But yet, how much more that speaks to us. That if we are imperfect, and he was perfect, and yet he chose to spend time with God, with his father. How much more does that mean that we need to do that? That in our silence, that we need to find those times of silence where we can be alone with our Creator, with our Father. Have you ever found that um, the more you are around a certain group of people, the more you start to talk like them? The more your habits become like their habits. When I was in high school, it was ridiculous. Uh, one of my best friend, friends was uh, Doug Kane, and he had this sweet candy apple red uh, Trans Am, T-tops. And I just had this junky 76 Cutlass Supreme. So I, we'd, we'd cruise the square with Doug because he, he was cool. And the music of Doug soon became... My music. The, uh, the habits of Doug soon became my habits. The way that I talked, the way that I viewed people. After a while, his friends became my friends. His actions became my actions. And I soon became this Doug Kane clone. And it was kind of strange where, you know, I, I w- and he was a public school kid. So, you know, how, you know, my parents were like, oh, Paul, this is bad. Well, it was. It was bad. Because I started, my life took a radical change because of the time exposure to Doug. Think even about your friend circles. And this, this isn't even just a high school, college age thing. This is even a, an adult thing. Think about the circles that you run in wherever you are. How much does your life line up with the values of these people? How much do you start looking like others? And what what he's really saying here, and I think it's a beautiful picture, is that Jesus chose to remain aligned with his Father. We have no, no idea what happened during this time. And there's something inside me that just wishes that we'd at least have a script of the prayer or at least just a broad categories that Jesus prayed during that time, but it doesn't, which is good because I think what we do as a church is say, okay, if this is what Jesus did, we've got to do this. All that we know is that he had time exposure to God. 
where he was still very early in the morning while it was still dark. He longed for time with the Father. He longed for one-on-one time. And And I just wonder, if I would do a poll of everybody here, could we honestly say on the top of our list, the thing that you long for the most is some time exposure with God? And you say, oh, absolutely, Paul. That is my number one thing beyond sales. Okay, we got one. Um, beyond sales, beyond uh, my relational identity, my social networking with people, beyond uh, my family, beyond all these things. My most important thing is just time with God. But there was something that Jesus said is, listen, my connection to the Father is integral to the rest of my life. Because that's where my identity is found. My identity is found in that Trinity, that Father, Son, Holy Ghost thing. That is where my identity is found. That is who I am. So I must I must stay close to that. You know, part of my gut reaction was, man, okay, we've got to have practical application to this. So maybe tonight at the Boomsma's house we could have a prayer service. Yeah, that's, you know, a good tie-in kind of thing. But then as soon as we'd say that, what would people go, hmm, I'm a little busy now. A prayer, you know, prayer meetings, those just aren't the popular thing. Plus, I'm not a good public prayer, you know, and you're going to kind of put me on the spot and I'm going to feel a little uncomfortable out of my element because I don't know the right words to say. I think our, our chief thing that has got to happen is that we've got to be tuned in. That we've just got to be so dialed in to what God is saying, what God is doing. So that we can be able to say, Thy will be done on earth, in my life, in my relationships, as it is in heaven. That we're just so dialed in to the heartbeat of God that from that we, we understand our sense of mission, our, our sense of purpose, our, our sense of existence because we are so dialed into what God is saying and what God is doing, now, how God is speaking and revealing Himself in our life that we're so dialed in that it just flows out. I now understand who God is, what God desires. I now understand who I am and how God desires me to move. Because the strange thing is, as soon as Jesus Jesus is having this moment, this real intimate, powerful moment, I'm assuming, with with his Father, all of a sudden, the break-in happens. The break-in happens where the disciples come running to him. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, this idea of the searching for him in the Greek is two words, and it's used only once, hunting down. They were hunting Jesus down. Because they were still on this buzz from the night before, where the whole village was there, and Jesus was healing, and he was doing this, he was doing this, and there were you know, crutches flying, because at one time these people were lame, and so they're now walking, they were blind, and now they can see there was this demon-possessed guy who is just this blithering idiot alongside the road, and now he is this clear-thinking, clear-speaking kind of guy, and the whole town was just transformed, and these disciples are going, Woohoo, Jesus, let's go, this is exciting, and they went to bed just... Just on the spiritual buzz, they wake up and there was no Jesus. It's like, okay, Jesus, listen, you go this way, you go that way. We're going to hunt him down. We've got to find him because I'm sure people are going to start showing up at the door again. 
And we've got to be able to start this healing thing. We've got to start this mass marketing thing. We've got to get going. And so Simon and his companions went to hunt Jesus down. And when they found him, they kind of gave him this finger wagging. Saying, Jesus, everybody is looking for you. I think that if that would happen here, where we had that kind of experience of healing and seeing real lives changed, we'd have that same kind of response like the disciples. Hey, the city is looking for you. They're showing up soon. We've got to get going. Hello? But something happened in that prayer time. Something happened in that prayer time because Jesus said, he replied, let's go somewhere else. To uh, other nearby villages. Let's, let's go somewhere else. And isn't that just totally antithetical? Isn't that just totally the opposite? of what you would think that Jesus should do. He's got something going on in Capernaum. He got that ball rolling. But Jesus said, let's go somewhere else. To the other nearby villages. So I can preach there also. And this last line. That is why I have come. Jesus' sense of identity and sense of purpose was clearly communicated after the solitary time with God. This beautiful communion, this beautiful whatever it was, very early in the morning. Out of that came a, you know what? This is who I am. This is who I am. So this is what I must do. We live in a world that is just very confused. And maybe you are sitting here right now going, I don't know the meaning of life. I don't know the purpose of my life. I, I wish I would just have this epiphany with God, you know, where I say, okay, God, I'm praying this. And if the answer is yes, put up the mailbox sign. If no, put it down. You know, kind of putting out the, this God give me a sign kind of thing. Because we're all just searching and desiring to find this reason for existence. This, what is my, why am I here? What am I doing? And Jesus was, was able to say, we're not going to spend too much more time here. We're going to go to some other villages so that I can preach there also. Because that is why I have come. You know, if you look in Luke 19, Verse 10, this is uh, just after this Zacchaeus. And, you know, if you are had any church background, especially in the Protestant world, there's this cute little song about Zacchaeus. And he was a wee little man and a, was he? He climbed up in a, yeah, but it says a sycamore fig tree, so fit that in there into the rhyme scheme. For the Lord he wanted to see, and as, that, as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. <laughs> That's good. You guys are sick. <laughs> sick. Because the Lord he wanted to see. So at, at the end of this whole experience, Jesus and Zacchaeus had this amazing interaction. And at the end, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Verse 10. For the son of man came to 
seek and to save what was lost. He had this clear picture of his identity and his purpose. He knew his existence. And I'm willing to to bet it's because he was so deeply connected. There was, even in Jesus, and I don't understand how this works, he was fully man, so I'm sure that there was constantly that tension of, of pull. The world, the disciples are saying, Jesus, look, the whole village is going to be looking for you. Or could you imagine preaching in, in front of a crowd of 4,000 or 5,000 people, having a whole hill filled and you would preach the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. You know, there's got to be something inside that man saying, man, we are here to build an empire, you know, and I could be the next, next happening thing. But there was something very specific. And Jesus said, listen, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So his identity was deeply connected to his Exposure, his relationship with God. But I think if you're anything like me, you're easily robbed because of our days. You know, if if I just had one more hour every day or two more hours every day, I could do this, I could do that, I could I could volunteer, I could I could be with my kids more, I could do no, in reality. If you had 50 more hours in one day, you'd fill it with other junk. Or junk would find its way into your schedule. Ryan, put up this next quote. By, I, I love this guy, St. Mark the Monk. He's got to come up with a better name. But Just as thieves do not lightly attack a place where they see royal weapons prepared against them, so he, so he who has grafted prayer into his heart is not easily robbed by the thieves of the mind or the thieves of time or the thieves of fill in your own blank. And I think this guy Mark the monk is on to something when he talks about so he who has grafted prayer into his heart. Grafted prayer into your heart. Is that, is that exposure, that time exposure with God important? That you're willing to make it happen? Where you're, where you're willing to make it a, a spiritual discipline so that the more time that you are spending with God, the more your character, more your life, more your values are reflecting those of God's character, His value, His timing, His way of thinking, His way of being. And this is, I'm going to be honest with you, since I'm, supposed to, I'm this paid religious person, this is not an easy thing. I wish I could say, man, if you would just every day get up and make this happen, you're going to have this amazing relationship with God. It just doesn't happen. Or whether it is, you know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon because that's your best time or you got always have a free spot. It is a discipline of our lives to be still. To be quiet long enough to sense the moving of God in your life. To feel the movement in your mind, in your heart. To have your heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh. To start beating with the, the things of God. You know, we see this, this image of, of Jesus Christ where his words and his deeds were so matched up, where they so synced up. And I think a lot of that is because his heart, his mind 
was so synced up with that of the heart and mind of God. So I wish that I had a Prayer for Dummies book published for you. But I don't. Uh, And if you're looking for a a 12-step plan for how to integrate prayer into your life, I don't have that either. But what I do have is that to tell you that this is not an easy thing. That prayer is really a, a value. And it can be just, you know, I, for me, and if I ever see you there, I'm going to be ticked off. But for me, I show up to... Uh, on Francis Road, St. Francis of the Woods, there's this little um, little Catholic church there. I know no good professing uh, Protestant person would ever find themselves there. I show up there, and I have the whole church to myself. Except for the sisters who walk in with their walkers every once in a while. But I'll tell you, those Moments, those sometimes hour, is invaluable. Because I was intentional, saying, I need to find a solitary place. And often it takes more than an hour to uh, get the noise, the clutter of life out where you're finally just sitting saying, okay, God, I'm ready to hear you now. I'm ready to communicate. I'm ready to adore, to confess, to offer thanksgiving. Lord, here's my supplication, my, my requests, my prayers. I think it's also There's some power in prayer. That when we become a people of prayer, where we say, you know what? I so believe that uh, prayer will transform your life, our lives, because there's this mysterious, I don't know how God does it kind of thing, but when, let me find Hebrews real quick like James. Um, when there's something that, that happens in this, uh, this prayer time, I believe that God moves. You know, James talks about if there's any of you who lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But if he asks, if he prays for it, he must, not, he must believe and not Doubt. Because he who tosses his doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. There's also in here that James talks about that, that if there's any one of you who is sick, any of you who is sick, and and he didn't define sick as uh, flu, cancer, measles, mumps. He left it wide open. If any of you are sick, call upon the elders of the church. Have them anoint you with oil and pray. Believing that God will answer prayer. And there's something powerful that happens that when the people of God have this such this intimate connection with their, their creator, their the lover, their God. That somehow, mysteriously, God moves. And God answers. And God heals. God saves. And I want you to think, who is that who is that person in my life that I just pray would have this amazing connection with God 
where their life would be, if they, their eyes would just be opened, they would have these aha moments. Is that, is that just a little secret that you keep in your head? Or is that a prayer saying, God, I know that you can move in a miraculous, powerful, amazing way. Would you just crash into their world? God, you crashed into my world. You transformed my life. In the same way, God, would you do this? And much like this widow who went before the judge, she petitioned and 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 she petitioned. And And finally the judge said, okay, I will grant your wish. God isn't this genie in a bottle that if we rub him enough, he'll do our thing. But in some strange way, when our heart becomes so lined up with his things and we... We feel impassionate about the things of God. Somehow, and I can't explain it, somehow God moves. When our hearts are lined up with his hearts, God moves. Could you imagine a church of people that just say, you know what? I would much rather, instead of Paul singing some songs and hearing from you, I would much rather us get together and pray. That is not on the church growth strategy 101. That you, you just say, you know what? Instead of, Paul, you preparing 20-some hours for a message, why don't you just lead us in prayer and we'll join together in prayer just coming before God and saying, God, you are the creator of the universe. God, won't you just do something here? God, you are this, you are that. Come on, God, move. Could you imagine a church like that? I can't. I'd love to see it. I can't imagine it because I've never seen it. I've never seen the body of Christ just hungering with time with God. There's a church called Brooklyn Tabernacle with Jim Symbola or Symbala, however you pronounce his name, where every week it is a prayer. Concert. You walk into their church, and it is just a murmuring of people lifting up prayers because they so desire to be in tune with their God, to hear from their God. And I can only imagine that spending that hour, two hours, however long it is, with your Creator. How so much your heart is in tune that you say, I understand why I'm here. I know why I breathe. I understand a little bit better today than from yesterday what my purpose is. Because I've had time exposure to God. And the picture is becoming more crisp, more clear. My identity is so much more sharper Because I've had exposure to the God of creation. The God who has saved me. And that is the cry of my heart. It's not about systematic theology. It's not about what you believe when it comes to baptism. You know, do you baptize infants or this? Or do you believe in this or that? This, these little pieces of theology that divide us. But is it more about Our heart, all of our hearts beating for the same God. Our hearts just beating for the living God. For this God to heal me. For this God to save me. For this God to speak to me. So we're going to pray. It's only appropriate, you know, that's what we do at this time in the the service. Paul gets done with his rant, and we pray, and then we sing some more songs. But seriously, we're going to pray. And I know for some of you, you're going to crawl out of your skin because it's uncomfortable. 
Thanks be to God. But we, the body of Christ, are going to pray. And I don't know what your prayer is going to look like. I don't know what it's going to sound like. And I don't know if you've been planning this prayer for months or you've got the right words because your parents taught you how to pray. But we are going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to lead in prayer. And I wish I could turn off these, uh, these vents, but we can't. So that means you're going to have to pray loudly. But let's come before our Maker. Have some time exposure to God. And if it helps you, you can adore Him. You can confess. I want to let you know this is a safe place. If you need to do that, do that. If you want to just thank God for what He has done or is doing, thank away. Or if you just got this heavy, painful thing that's sitting in the middle of your life, it's the elephant in the room of your life, Ask. But do it in faith, knowing that he, he has the ability to answer. I'll close us after that long, awkward moment of silence. But I'm encouraging you, pray. Pray loudly as the Spirit of God moves in your heart. Don't wait. Pray. Let's pray. Lord, you uh, replace my heart of stone with a heart of flesh that beats with yours. God, I ask that you give me a heart that desires time exposure to you whether it be five minutes here or five minutes there or just an hour or two, whether it be in the car just driving. God, I just ask for a heart that is passioned. Lord, that I can see with your eyes and feel with your heart and hear with your ears. So God, forgive me for being numb or being methodical or being whatever. God, uh, I just ask that you forgive and you be merciful as you always are. God, I pray for your people. Pray for us. Lord, that we become a community that is so in tuned with you, your design of us, your purpose for us, your will for us, your, all those things together, God, that we can, we can understand more fully day by day by day. And Lord, that that will just have these kingdom implications outside of a Sunday morning gathering. God, I trust that you will move in our lives. Lord, that you will stir in us, that you'll interrupt us and disrupt us. And Lord, that we, I pray that we'll be faithful to those, those moments where you're just longing to interact with us. God, I pray for my brothers and my sisters who are in painful places in their lives. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are disconnected whether that be intentionally or unintentionally. God, I pray for those of us who are sick and need your healing touch right now, whether it be emotional, spiritual, psychological, physical. God, we just need your touch. 
And God, we trust that you will heal because you are capable of healing. God, I pray for the world outside these four doors right now. God, I just ask that uh, you till the soil of people's hearts, that your spirit goes before us and prepares their hearts for words and actions of love. God, I pray for our places of business, our places that we work, our places that we reside. Lord, that they be these gracious, loving communities. Lord, where they can see uh, that the creator of the universe is in us and working through us. God, I pray for beautiful, passionate, beautiful marriages where you are at the center and that you are just moving in these amazing ways so that children, so that neighbors, so that family, so that friends can see that you are there. God, I pray for budding relationships, whether it be a fiancé, whether it be uh, a, just a dating relationship, whether it be just a friendship, God, that you are there in that midst. God, I pray for our finances as a church. God, I pray for our finances as individuals, as families. God, that uh, you know some of us are just up to our neck, some just up to our nose in debt. God, we need your wisdom. God, uh, you are a God who answers prayer. And that we trust. We're beginning to trust. You're also a God who enjoys the praises of his people. So God, we will offer this to you. Not because this is what we do, but because we can and we desire it. So God, as we sing these songs to you and to each other, Lord, encourage our hearts Be honored, be glorified, be lifted up. And God, we pray this in the name of Jesus, the name that saves, that is saving, that has saved us. And all God's people said, Amen.